friends and listeners, we're HealthScape, a podcast exploring the healthcare ecosystem through intimate conversations with healthcare's biggest leaders. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Club and supported by the Healthcare at Kellogg program at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Welcome to the Healthscape Podcast. I'm Connor Otheim, your host for today's episode. We are back from summer break and have an exciting guest lineup for this fall. Our first guest is Daniel Hostler. Dan is the managing partner and co-founder of Doomglass Capital, a private equity firm that is focused on healthcare services. Prior to founding Doomglass Capital, Dan started three companies, was the co-head of healthcare investing at Sterling Partners, and most recently led M&A for an eye care roll-up. Dan is a Kellogg alum and earned his BA in biochemistry from Rice University. Welcome to the show, Dan. My first question is, from starting businesses to your work in private equity, throughout your career, you've had an entrepreneurial focus. What drew you to this career path? Sure, so it's interesting. I, I come from a, a line of entrepreneurs. Uh, both my, my dad and my grandfather had started their own businesses and ran them kind of well into their uh, 60s and 70s. So I was always curious about how to run businesses and how to start businesses. And uh, interestingly, it, it kind of been again in high school. I was a high school DJ, and I also started some volunteer work with Habitat for Humanity. And, and really, it was both of those. It was you know the thrill of starting a business, printing that first business card, uh, trying to convince customers to, to buy whatever it was that you were selling. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it really got those creative juices flowing. And, and that what ultimately is what led me to, you know, kind of where I, I sit today. And I realized I love growth when it comes down to what's kind of that common thread that has woven through the last 20 plus years. It's, it's the ability to start from an idea and to translate that into a company and, and ultimately uh, helping that company achieve its, its ultimate success, whether that's turning over somebody else to run or selling it to the next investor. Uh, it's, it's that common thread of growth that really keeps me excited. I want to dig into a little bit how you ended up working in private equity, going from before Kellogg, where you started a few businesses. What led you to switch gears a little bit to still be in that same field where you're focused on growth and all those things that you talked about, but from a different, little bit different lens working on the PE side? Sure. So it was interesting. I actually, when I went to Kellogg, it was to really round out my background. And initially I thought I wanted to go work in a big company. I'd never had, you know, quote unquote, a, a corporate job. And I thought it'd be really interesting to go down that path. Unfortunately, when I was doing my summer internship interviews, I would, I would make it to uh, different interviews with executives at companies. And they kind of looked at me and said, you're an entrepreneur. Why on earth would you want to come work in a big company, right? I'm trying to find a way to leave the big company and start my own thing. Um, and so it was kind of interesting to, to hear those comments. And finally, one of my friends at Kellogg, uh, she took me aside and she said, you know, your background is, is entrepreneurial. It's very different. You really have to talk to the folks at Sterling and, and see, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there. And, and I did. I went out there and I told them some of my thoughts about healthcare investing uh, some ideas that I had, some stocks I was invested in, and they actually created a summer internship role for me. And 
I had done some work in venture capital, but I really wasn't familiar with the world of private equity up until that point. And once I got engrossed and involved in it, that's really where I got excited. I, I didn't realize there was this entire field of investing that was really more focused on growth equity and helping businesses achieve their size and scale. So that's what turned me on to private equity. And really the rest was history. I, I spent uh, almost 14 consecutive years then at Sterling before I realized it was time for uh, my buddy from business school, Ryan Graham and I to, uh, to hang our own shingle and, and start our own private equity firm. Curious to dive into a little bit more starting your dune glass and, and setting out on your own. You know, perhaps it was inevitable given your entrepreneurial past and your excitement for that area. But what made you decide that you wanted to start out with your own firm? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, going back, gosh, almost 10 years, I remember having this kind of moment. A bunch of uh, our friends from business school, we happened to be in New York City at the exact same time, all working for different companies. And I kind of gave this little, little spiel to my buddies. And I said, look, you know, we're getting to the point where we finally know what we're doing, right? We've had some experience. We've gotten to lead some things on our own. And I just, I had that desire to really call my own shots and to run my own business. And I kind of was like a little pep rally. It's like, all right, who's with me? And a lot of my buddies are like, eh, I'm comfortable with what I'm doing, or, you know, I, I like where I am. I, I like the security of it. One friend, Ryan Graham, uh, he was class of 05 from Mellow. He said, I'm in. I said, well, I don't know what it is. And, and he's like, that doesn't matter. Let's, let's figure it out. And so for the last literally eight years, we, we kind of brainstormed what type of uh, business would we want to build or buy and where would we want to focus? And it was interesting as I did more and more partnerships with doctors, doctors started coming to me saying, hey, Dan, I want to do private equity. And then I would ask them, what does that mean? What, what do you mean by do private equity? And it was funny, you'd get this blank stare and they'd say, well, I was hoping you're going to tell me. So I shared this with Ryan and I said, hey, man, I think there's an opportunity for us to start a healthcare private equity. It is kind of where I come from my background. Ryan had spent 15 years doing management consulting and had really built a great book of business. And so his dad is an orthopedic surgeon. My dad is a gastroenterologist. So we both came from families where you know, medicine was discussed around the dinner table. And we thought about this, gosh, what if we could help educate doctors so that they could make better decisions? Too many times private equity was taking advantage of doctors, right? From a, a knowledge information advantage. And so a lot of why we started doing last capital was to help flip that script upside down, to really educate doctors on the world of private equity and help them make better decisions. Curious what you look for in the companies that you're looking to invest in. You talked a little bit about some of the things that Dune Glass can offer to a doctor's office that's looking to quote unquote do private equity, but what are you looking for on your end and what do you think makes a good partner? It's a great question. I think first and foremost, we are looking for founder run businesses. So we're starting on the smaller side. We like to find businesses where, you know, maybe a doctor or a founder has taken it to a certain level and they want and they need help to really help transform that business, to take it to the next level. So focusing on those founder run opportunities are very important to us. And then secondly, uh, we're big believers in the macro thematic side of investing. So we're looking for big trends that are transcendent of any of the, the micro opportunities. So I, I like to 
affectionately say, I don't feel like I'm smart enough to effectively pick the winners out of a crowded field. But if you have enough macro tailwinds, putting a little bit of wind in the sails, then it can help make up for if you happen to pick the wrong business to invest in. And then if you happen to pick the right business to invest in and you have those macro tailwinds, uh, that can lead to some really great outcomes. And I've been lucky enough to, to have had a couple of those in my investing career. So we're big believers in the world of uh, baby boomers aging into that 65 plus age bracket. So you're seeing a tremendous number of people entering that age bracket. And at a time where their 401k and their IRA balances are bigger than ever. And so they're making more and more elective decisions in addition to their uh, medically oriented decisions on their healthcare purchasing. The other thing we like to focus on is the aging body, right? If you think about uh, over the course of evolution, the typical lifespan of a human being was really only 40 years. It was only in the last couple hundred years where the lifespan changed from, you know, call it early to mid forties into, you know, late seventies to early eighties. And so you think about what that means from what wears out on the body, uh, the skin, the teeth, joints, the eyes, right? Those, those body parts that are used to only uh, needing to be around for 40 or 50 years, all of a sudden we're extending it. And so what are medical technologies or dental technologies that really help us have a more joyous lived life as we age longer uh, into you know, the 80s? And hopefully we continue to push that age span even further. Makes a lot of sense. I'd love to dive into some examples of how you're taking advantage of those trends that you're seeing. Could you talk about a few of the companies that you're investing in right now and what the Doomglass portfolio looks like and how it's capturing on some of those macro trends that you see? Sure. So right now we have three portfolio companies and then we also have one business that I serve as the chairman of the board of, uh, and it's, it's in a very exciting space. So of those three companies, you know, we've got a business in the bariatric services space, bariatric surgery in particular. And this is really trying to tackle the type two diabetes crisis that we have in our country. And if you look at the population of 65 plus age bracket, the incidence rate of type two diabetes is rather frightening. And unfortunately, in the US, it's, it's almost entirely preventable, right? If we had better diet, better exercise, better habits, then largely we could prevent uh, what, what happens when you have long-term chronic diabetes. Uh, so you think about the, the secondary impact of chronic diabetes, decreased blood vessel size, right? All of a sudden now you've got eye care issues with diabetic retinopathy. Uh, you think about the cardiovascular issues, whether that's heart-related or other vascular issues with the veins and the arteries. And so, you know, we like bariatric surgery in particular because it's trying to help provide an alternative for our obesity crisis and our type two diabetes crisis that we have here in the US. Um, a second business that we like quite a bit, uh, it's called Allied OMS. And Allied is focused on the oral and maxillofacial surgery community. So we it's kind of crazy. We started this business in April of 2020 in the midst of the COVID pandemic. And in many ways, we were blessed to have started then because so many practices were closed, the doctors had nothing but time. And so we were able to really turbocharge the growth of that business. And that's a great example of doctors banding together saying, we want to create a new platform that's by doctors for doctors 
Uh, so Allied is very exciting. We've already done uh, eight partnerships in Allied in the first 14 months, and we're about to announce our, our ninth here in the next couple of weeks. And then it's not even on the website yet, but through word of mouth, we've also just launched another business called LifeFlow Partners. And LifeFlow is focused on the vascular surgery space. Actually, one of our oral surgeon partners came to us and said, hey, my brother is a vascular surgeon and he's been watching what we've been doing together. He wants to do the exact same thing, but for vascular surgery. So we just launched LifeFlow and it kind of touches on some of those similar characteristics that Grand Health Partners uh, touches in terms of the bariatric surgery business. You think about peripheral artery disease, again, the, the other impacts that uh, occur with type two diabetes or hypertension and high cholesterol. So we're really excited about the work that we're launching with LifeFlow Partners as well. And then along the way throughout COVID, um, one of my other colleagues that I had worked with uh, prior to uh, starting Dune Glass, she started a really interesting business over Switzerland. It's called Inanna Fertility. Inanna is the Mesopotamian goddess of fertility. So pretty cool name as well. And she had this interesting idea. She had gone through IVF herself and she was frustrated by how relatively unscientific the process was. And so she set out to create a machine learning based algorithm to help patients, to help the moms going through IVF uh, processes. And so she started a non fertility about three years ago. She bootstrapped it, won a bunch of grant money uh, by competing in venture competitions really all over the globe. And we're just now uh, at the at the point where she's starting to commercialize her product. So through all this, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get to join her board of directors as the chairman and really help work with her to, to help see her vision come through at Anana Fertility. So that's a good handful, representative handful of, of the portfolio. I'm very excited about what we've done. We've hired our first outside employee at Dune Glass. We're actually, I'll plug this a little bit, we're actually looking to hire our first full-time post-MBA uh, employee for Dune Glass for summer of 22. So we're hoping to work with the folks at Kellogg to see if there might be great candidates that are interested in joining us to, to join us in the summer of, of 2022. So we're excited about how much we've grown, but we all, you know, we're also restless. We want to continue to push to find more opportunities. There's so much work that can be done to increase the efficiency of how we deliver healthcare, to help doctors better understand the world of private equity, and along the way, uh, to be able to also make a, a satisfying return for our investors as well. So we're very excited about what we see in the world of healthcare private equity. Well, it's very exciting, Dan, and I'm sure plenty of our listeners and Kellogg students are excited to hear that you're hiring as well. You talked about how you found some of the opportunities and how some of it was due to people you knew and people in your network. Is it always so organic or what is the usual process that you go through for finding some of these businesses that fit your criteria and that you can partner with? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, my recommendation for folks is the following. I learned pretty early on being a relative newcomer product and really the, the ecosystem that surrounds it, the diligence providers, the lawyers, the investment bankers. You really need to cast a wide net when you're looking at opportunities, looking at hiring management teams, um, working with great headhunting firms. So I've tried to really push myself to do a better job working. So uh, it's one of those things. I, I like to attend a lot of different events, whether it's investment banking conferences or uh, events that are very focused on healthcare investing. 
And I try to tell myself, you know, just before you get ready to leave that cocktail reception or you decide to kind of call it a night, is there one more conversation that you can have? Is there one more person that you could introduce yourself to just in case that might be one connection that helps lead to your next hired CEO or your next opportunity uh, company to invest in? I really recommend kind of going that extra mile, really understanding how do other people think about sourcing opportunities. And yes, there's a lot of investment banks out there and they, they have a lot of companies that they're out there trying to sell. And you got to be really picky, right? We have a placemat that we helped create inside of Dune Glass Capital that helps us kind of keep organized around what are opportunities that we're excited about and what are maybe some opportunities that we can pretty quickly say no to because you got to get good at saying no, right? I remember in, in traditional private equity, I have to review approximately 1,000 pitches per year, right? Whether those are one-pagers or, or full-blown sims just to find maybe 10 that I thought were interesting enough to submit a letter of intent. And then of those 10, you hope that maybe you win one of those 10 that you bid on. Uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of the name of the game. So it, it is a bit of a numbers game, but I think if you can go into it with a strong point of view, that's educated by, by others, by research that you do, by talking to outside experts, then it can help you kind of navigate through the, the dark and murky waters of, of, you know, how you invest in healthcare. You talk about the, the thesis that you have and the companies that you've invested with, and you also talk about the significant growth that Doomglass is experiencing. As you continue to grow the fund, do you think you'll be continuing to invest in very similar type companies to the ones you're in now, or do you see expanding that focus, and are there other areas that you're looking to go into? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we have over-indexed in, in what's known as physician practice management space. I think it's an area that we've had a tremendous amount of interest, and it's also experiencing very rapid consolidation. So at least for the next, call it three to five years, we think there's still great opportunities uh, to really help doctors become better prepared to partner with private equity. But it would be nice to expand back out into other areas. We have bid on uh, and examined other businesses that are in the healthcare services space. And I would also say not just healthcare services, but also technology-enabled healthcare services. I, I was just getting ready to kind of launch that initiative at Sterling, but I left uh, and got one uh, partnership done with a company called QCentrics. It ended up being a really great exit for our investors. Uh, and it's continuing to grow very well at the hands of, of the CEO, Milton Silva Craig. So I like those spaces and I would like to be able to get back into them. But for the foreseeable future, we see so much opportunity with helping doctors stay better organized and understand the world of private equity that we'll probably try to do another one or two of those. And then we'll look to do something more formal. You know, I, I like to ask the question, should we raise a large pool of capital to go out and deploy in the world of healthcare services? And, and I think eventually we probably will come to the conclusion that we want to do that. Uh, and really do that on behalf of you know some of the investors that we've helped along the way, including many of our doctor partners. They've been coming to us lately saying, where would you invest healthcare money? Or, or can we invest alongside of you on some of the opportunities that you're working on? So it's starting to get us thinking about you know how do we plan for the next three or four years and what might that look like in terms of future opportunities? 
You've talked a lot about how one of your advantages that you have to potential partners is really helping them understand private equity and treating them more fairly than the experience that a doctor's group would typically have with private equity. Can you talk a little bit about what that standard experience is and then how you differentiate yourself and some of the things that Dune Glass is doing differently to help those partners really understand how this process works and what a fair process is? Yeah, boy, that's there's a lot to unpack there. So what we try to do is we try to first start with asking the question, have you ever been approached by private equity? And increasingly, the answer is yes. You know, I, I had a phone call or I've gotten so many mailers and I've clicked on some website links or I've watched something on the Internet. And I think that's a good place to start. So what is the current base of knowledge? What have you been taught so far? And to make sure that, you know, is what they're learning accurate, number one. And then number two, you know, if, the, if there's an opportunity to provide further knowledge in the world of private equity, then that's where we start to, to lean in. So teaching them things like what's the fundamental basis of valuation, right? You think about uh, discounted cash flows, teaching them about cash flows, right? Because a lot of the small businesses, whether you're talking PPM or otherwise, there is no EBITDA, right? They're small businesses and all of the excess profits are taken out by the owners. So teaching them what EBITDA is, what does it mean? Why is that the metric that we use as a proxy for cash flow? And then talking about purchase price multiples, you know, why is it cash free versus debt free? You know, we really want them to have almost like kind of a finance 101 background so that they better understand their own businesses. I like to say, if you get nothing out of our interactions from Dune Glass, we want you to at least walk away with a better grasp of kind of the core finance and accounting principles so that you can better understand not just your own practice, but a lot of our doctors make private investments too. So better understanding the investments that they like to make. As we get kind of deeper into it, and this kind of parlays into what we think is important to be successful as a healthcare investor, really getting deep into their operations. Where are the areas where they feel like they've hit roadblocks and where are the areas where they feel like they've been successful? And can we add something to that conversation? So where can we share where we've had struggles and also where we've had successes and kind of compare those to figure out if there's opportunities to, to help our doctor partners uh, make their practices more efficient or optimized? Or maybe it's just simply helping them find a, a great way to have a liquidity event. So there's lots of different things that we, we try to provide to our, our doctors. And then we think about fairness, you know, private equity in many ways, uh, think about kind of 10, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of folks doing these physician practice management deals uh, because there was a pretty bad taste in people's mouth from the late 90s where some groups tried to do it and the end all be all was not selling to private equity, it was taking a company public, but the doctors didn't get the full description of the cap table. So when they went to go public, they thought that they were going to make a lot of money. And, you know, it turns out that uh, the, the financial folks were the ones that made the money, right? Because they structured things a certain way. So you almost have to unpack the mistakes of the past and teach them about how you're doing it differently this time around. So those are some of the ways that we, we try to, to educate our doctor partners. And, you know, we're also about to hopefully announce our first operating partner at Dune Glass, uh, a gentleman who's got his, his MD, MBA. And, you know, we're hoping that uh, having him in our ranks will also help us uh, better educate the doctors in terms of what's going on in the world of private equity. 
That's great that you're trying that you're providing that full picture for them and really making sure that it's a, it's a partnership and not just financing. One thing I wanted to explore with you, occasionally you'll see articles in the news decrying the, the role of private equity in healthcare. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this, both if you think that's that's broadly an issue and then how do you navigate it as a company, whether it's just um, that bad publicity that some people have with that bad taste in their mouth or are there ways that you do things differently? We'd love to explore just if you think there's any validity to the concerns that some people have about private equity being involved with providers. And if there are any, what are some of the things that you do and how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. I have seen over the last several years some very one-sided articles that decry private equity ruining medicine, private equity um, only out there to make a profit versus you know being being involved in or, or caring about patient outcomes. And I think that's just so short-sighted. I could probably make the same argument about some of the behaviors of some of the other groups out there, whether it's a commercial payer denying medically necessary care through an authorization or pre-auth process, or there are some hospital systems that are absolutely bad actors, you know, billing patients for uh, for the amount that's still owed, uh, even though maybe or ten or twelve times the allowable Medicare rate. And so, you know, I think part of it is there's been some fly-by-night journalism that's occurred that that sort of is good for clickbait, but it really doesn't get to the heart of the issue. So I like to kind of start with that. You really need to be a student of the market to understand a lot of the complexity and the nuance that exists in our healthcare world. And then from there, unfortunately, there are bad actors, right? There are some private equity firms who put out productivity mandates uh, that put out certain things that, that you know, you're only focused on hitting financial metrics rather than patient outcomes metrics. And those are very unfortunate examples. And, and those are businesses that we do not invest in. And I, I often reflect on uh, whether I hear a business person saying it, or I hear a doctor saying it. When I hear somebody talk about productivity goals, boy, they've missed out on a lot of other ways to help practices run more efficiently, take costs out of the practice, provide good services to the employees, you know, if they're simply focused on, on productivity goals. So, I'd like to start there. Where we try to differentiate ourselves is first and foremost, we're focused on clinical outcomes. That is a non-negotiable. So in any business in which we are thinking about investing, are there tangible and measurable patient outcomes that we can get excited about? So when I heard about bariatric surgery and I was looking at some of our surgeons at Grand Health Partners and how they were able to, in some cases, delay or uh, permanently defer type 2 diabetes, that made us super excited. A $15,000 bariatric surgery could postpone or, or sometimes get rid of type 2 diabetes. One year's worth of diabetics of 15 grand. And so to me, it was kind of a no-brainer. It's like, look, look if, if you could have that conversation with United, the Blues, Aetna, Cigna, any of the big commercial payers, then to me, that they were going to get behind this. And by the way, look at the trends of where some of the diabetic supplies are going. Five years ago, that was $10,000. 10 years ago, it was $5,000. So if you draw that line out, the diabetic supplies are getting more and more expensive. And so in, in, in many ways, bariatric surgery is a cheaper alternative than traditional kind of palliative, uh, think about sort of like just providing for insulin or, or managing your, your blood sugar that way. So 
that's kind of one way that we, we start with is what's non-negotiable and that is patient outcomes. And then you, you got to talk about your partners, right? How have they provided healthcare services in the past? Because that's probably a pretty good indication of how they think about it, right? Only the most high integrity practices are the ones worth working with. So we try to make sure that we get a chance to know our partners, to really get a feeling for how they think about how they provide medical care. And then also asking them a simple question. Why did they get involved in medical care or dental care? What made them become a doctor or a dentist? Really understand the why behind what it is that they decided to do. And so if you hear somebody say, well, I got involved because I wanted to make a lot of money. Ugh, not sure that's the right kind of partner for us. I got involved because I love doing trauma. Even if I don't make a single penny, I love facial reconstruction. I happen to also enjoy taking out wisdom teeth and, and putting in implants. But what really keeps me excited is providing for trauma care. That's a great kind of partner. And I'm thinking about one of our doctors in, uh, in Evergreen, Colorado. I mean, he talks about that with a level of passion that gets us excited. That makes us passionate about building a business around that. So, you know, those are some of the things that you have to be focused on. And I think, you know, kind of taking it back up to a 30,000 foot view where private equity really excels is providing for good capital structures for really wringing out inefficiencies. And boy, there are so many inefficiencies in our healthcare system. So in some ways, I like that private equity is getting involved. Now, where it gets more complicated, right? There are some private equity firms that look at it blindly and say, well, healthcare is 20% of GDP or 22% of GDP. I must be in healthcare. You know, this is not a, a place to do fad investing or dip your toe in. If you're going to be a healthcare investor, you better be really deep in it and understand the regulatory side, the compliance side, making sure that you understand the trends that are occurring. Those are all things that require a lot of investment of time and resources. So uh, we like to say those are some of the things that, that we really have to continuously learn. You can't just say, oh, I, I've done healthcare and therefore I'm good to go. No, it's constantly changing, right? I think about stuff that keeps us up at night, uh, anti-kickback statutes, Stark law modifications, right? We're going through actually a pretty big uh, shift in Stark AKS modifications. And so that's allowing for greater latitude in some areas and restrictions, more restrictions in other areas. So really making sure that we're staying on top of those things is, is of the utmost importance. Um, and so that's, you know, it's kind of our take on it. And there's a lot of great actors out there. So I think about some of the other private equity firms that invest in healthcare, there's a lot of them here in Chicago. And, you know, they're doing some really great work. I, I think about the folks at Riverglade or, or at Linden and, and the types of businesses that they're involved in. You know, those are businesses where you can do well and do good. And, and that's kind of our, our mantra as well. You know, we love kind of following in, in their greatness. Yeah, that's great to hear about the, the patient-focused approach that you're taking at Dune Glass. And completely agree that you can have good and bad actors in, in private equity, and you can also have good and bad actors in, in hospitals and other places as well. The last question I had for you, we have a lot of students at Kellogg that are interested in private equity, including a number that are interested in working at the intersection of PE and healthcare like you are. What advice do you have for these students in making the most of their time at Kellogg? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things is, is being actively involved. Private equity, and in many cases, venture capital, it's, it's still one of these industries that tends to be on-job training, right? To really learn and, and become uh, more fluent in that world, it just takes a lot of experience. 
So anything you can do to get yourself exposed to it, participating in the private equity and venture capital lab program uh, that Professor uh, Peterson helps put on, you know, those are really important uh, pieces. Coming to the table with a point of view, right? Do some research, start uh, subscribing to some of the industry newsletters, right? There's a couple that I literally read every single day, and it's just a great way to learn about what's going on. Uh, I think about uh, GHA is one of those. I think it stands for Global Healthcare Advisors out of Florida. Really great daily uh, missive about what's going on in the world of, of healthcare investing. And then also it talks about some of the healthcare conferences that are taking place. Becker's has a whole host of of different publications that they put out for different subsectors in the healthcare world. Really great content there. There's some law firms that I think also do a great job. McGuire Woods, uh, Kirkland and Ellis. Uh, so you think about some of the work that they put out there. So I'd say get yourself kind of on some of these mailing lists, start to understand the vernacular. And then ultimately, uh, I like to remind folks, Right? There's lots of people that are interested in these jobs. So you really need to say, hey, I want this and chase after it. So uh, don't necessarily take, uh, take the first answer as the one that you want to get. The, uh, one of the funny things about one of my mentors, I remember when I first started at Sterling, he said, you know, you'll have a fun summer, learn a lot, but you're never going to work here because we don't hire people with your background. And I thought, gosh, you know, I'd love to prove this person wrong. And you know, 14 years later and a, a rather impressive track record of working together. You know, we, we had a lot of fun and did a lot of good investing in some great companies. And I remember if I would have just take that answer as, gosh, you're never going to work here, I wouldn't have had those experiences. So, you know, the resilience that has to be coupled with a lot of hard work, uh, I think that's ultimately what helps people be successful. And, and it's going to really help kind of propel their career, not just in the couple of years after you graduate, but, you know, well beyond as well. Thank you for listening. Support us by subscribing to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about healthcare at Kellogg, visit us at the website linked in our podcast description. Have a great day.